morning. How are we doing this morning? Excellent. Thank you, brother. Um, hope you guys are doing well this morning. It is good to, to be with you this morning. My name is Brett Powell. Um, I work with a ministry called Campus Outreach Ministries. Many of you have heard of that and have, uh, have seen some of the students uh, running around the church. Uh, it, is, it is good to be with you this morning to get to uh, deliver God's Word. It is a great privilege. Hey, what a beautiful morning uh, to, to be awake and to, to be in worship, and what I mean beautiful, uh, I know that it's a little gloomy outside and rainy, uh, but there's even glory in that, isn't there? And uh, so let's do this. Why don't we have a word of prayer, and then we'll open up the scriptures together, okay? Let's pray. Father, I do just thank you for this beautiful day and, and these beautiful people that are made in your image and likeness. And, and God, I just ask you and, and ask your blessing now on the word, Father. I pray today that God, our conscience would be quickened by the holiness of your beloved Son. Father, I pray today that our minds would be fed by the truth of your holy word. Father, I pray today that our imagination would be purged by the beauty of our cosmic King. I pray that our hearts and affections would be open and stirred by your steadfast love, O oh God. And I pray that our will would be devoted to your glorious employ. God, may you do this now. May your word not return void. Father, thank you so much for this time together. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, turn in your, in your scriptures, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. That's where I want you to pick me up. and We'll read the text here in just a second. Let me tell you what's, uh, where we're going uh, today. Uh, um, to, today, you know, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the New Testament... Uh, there was a young preacher, he came on the scene, uh, and, and he would travel around and begin to deliver God's word to uh, his people, and he spoke differently. Uh, he spoke with a different type of authority. He spoke with a different type of clarity. And you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. And in the midst of his ministry, uh, there was a lot of different things said about Jesus. A lot of things we could say about Jesus. Uh, and, and there was a, a mix-up, if you will, in who he really was. There was always this controversy going on. And so Jesus pulls his disciples together after he feeds the 5,000, uh, and he asks his disciples a very specific question. He says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? To which his disciples begin to respond back to Jesus, and they say, well, some have uh, said you are Elijah. Elijah calls down fire. Elijah, uh, uh, he prays and stops rain. Elijah does all of these works. Elijah is the great prophet. Some say you're him. Well, others say that you're John the Baptist, resurrected, that you, that you are the forerunner, that you are this great preacher, that you have called the people of God uh, to repent and believe for the kingdom is at hand. That's who you are, Jesus. Some have said that you are that. Others have said you're just a great prophet. And then Jesus gets really personal. He steps into his disciples and he asks this question. He says, who do you say that I am? To which Peter responds, you are the Christ. You're the Son of God. What a glorious profession right there on the spot. And we're looking at a text today and here in Colossians, and that question was relevant in Jesus' day. It was relevant in the church of Colossae, and it is going to be relevant for generations to come, that is the great question that we have to be asking. Who is Christ? Who is he? 
And so uh, the book of Colossians was written in conjunction with the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is, uh, is uh, if, if you will, it's called the, um, a, the book about the body of Christ. If Ephesians is written about the body of Christ, Colossians is written about the Christ of that body. So that's where we find ourselves today. And in the book of Colossians chapter 1, pick me up in verse 15. This is the word of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We say amen to that. Amen, amen, amen. There's many things we can say about this passage, but I want you to catch this today. I don't want you to miss this. Paul is unleashing a vernacular that you would understand who Christ is. In the day there was a, uh, um, a, a heresy going on in, in the church that they were wrestling with in Colossae, um, um, and, and one of the things that they were wrestling with is Jesus really God. Is he of God or is he God? And we see in this passage, Paul is addressing this. He, he, just, just go with me. In verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, he, is, he created all things. All things are created through him and for him. He is preeminent. Paul uses this language so that we would understand that Jesus is truly first. And so here's where we're going today to frame this for you. If you're looking at the scriptures and you look at verse 15, I want you to circle that, that word, firstborn. Firstborn of all creation there in verse 15. And then I want you to circle it again, firstborn from the dead. And I want you to circle that. It's in verse 18. And that's going to frame our time. Firstborn of, of creation, firstborn from the dead. And we're going to have a couple points under each of those. And so to just give you where I'm going to, to, to so you can see it, that's how we're looking at our time together. And so we, as we're looking at Jesus, the firstborn of creation, I want you to see that he is, uh, as we're talking about who he is, he is creator God. Uh, and, and look at this with me. In, in, uh, in, in that, that word, uh, um, firstborn, uh, j- just as, as we're moving into him being creator God, I want you to know this about him being firstborn. Firstborn does not mean that he was born. The Bible is clear that, that he is, uh, in, in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact replica. He is uh, he, he's the exact imprint of God, okay? That, that's how it starts. It starts that way on, on purpose. In verse 19, it says, the fullness of God uh, dwelled within Jesus. That means all of the attributes, all of the power, all of the authority, all in Jesus Christ. Firstborn uh, is actually a description used in the Old Testament, and it's used to say this person is premier, this person has got priority, this person is first in line. So when we say firstborn, we're using the Old Testament definition of that. And I, I want to give you two verses. Uh, you could just write, jot these down. But Psalms 89, 27 says this, and I will make him the firstborn 
the highest of the kings of the earth. Do you hear it? I'll make him firstborn. It's talking about Jesus. The highest of the kings of the earth. He's saying Jesus will be the highest king. Uh, in, in Exodus 4.22, uh, the, the, the Lord is speaking through Moses to Pharaoh, and, and, and uh, the Lord says, go tell Pharaoh this. Tell Pharaoh, um, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Okay? And the, the point that he's trying to make is, uh, is as, a, as we're thinking about this idea of firstborn, is it is, it is premier, it is first, it is, it is the first in line, everything follows it. And Jesus is firstborn of all creation, meaning all creation was created through him and for him. Jesus is the agent of creation, and he is the aim of creation. That's who Jesus Christ is to me and to you. He is creator God. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, for by all things were created. All things were created with no exception. That means Jesus cannot be created. It was created through him. If you look in the book, I think it's uh, Proverbs chapter 8, uh, it references Jesus as being wisdom. Wisdom was by the Father's hand as the world was created. So we see that Jesus created everything. He is creator God. Now I want you to think about this. As you leave and you look at these rain clouds come in, everything that you can see, visible and invisible, you can look over at your neighbor, and all of you are made in different shapes, sizes, different color hair, eyes, God has made you glorious in his image. You are to be treated with dignity and honor because you are made in the great image of God. I was in um, Chattanooga for a conference uh, recently, and we were out there playing flag football. And uh, we're on this turf field. I'm like, man, I've never played on a turf field uh, at a conference before. We typically get a real cheap field that's you kind of roll your ankle when you're playing on the field. And uh, and. But one of the things about the turf field, as you, you're playing and you just turn, you look there in Chattanooga, and there's these mountains. And they're absolutely glorious, created by the hand of Almighty God. You can pan out and go to the galaxies. Everything was created by God. Abraham Kuyper said this. He said, there is not an inch on, on any galaxy or planet Earth that Jesus does not say, mine. He calls it his. It's all his because he created it all. And notice, it was created through him and it was created for him. And so creation, as we're looking around, it is to bring majesty. It is to bring honor to God. You are to look at creation and go, wow, my Savior is so powerful. That's the beginning of Psalms 19, 1 and 2. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. He is creator God. And he is your creator. He is not just creator. Verse 17 says that he is sustainer. Look at verse 17 with me. It says, And, and, um, and he was before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is in complete control of all things. His control is effective in accomplishing all his purposes. Christ's control is effective in accomplishing all his purposes. Uh, jot this down, Luke 1.37, For nothing will be impossible for God. 
nothing is impossible with God. God sends prophets to a raging nation that wants to kill, that wants to push them out, that wants to intimidate, and the prophet preaches with all of his might, even to the point of his death. God sends Nehemiah to go build the wall, and it's against all odds, and people are coming, and they're trying to war against them, and the wall gets built. God comes in, and you, you, you remember the story there in, in uh, the first or second chapter of Mark, and, uh, and, and a man is lowered down uh, from the roof before Jesus Christ, and, and Jesus looks at the man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the, the, the Pharisees look at Jesus, and they go, who are you that you can uh, that you can forgive sins. And he goes, so that you know that the Son of Man has power and authority and might. Stand up and walk. And this man walks. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus casts out the demons. Nothing in creation is too powerful for God. All created, all sustained by his almighty hand. Nothing. Isaiah fifty-five eleven says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing in which I sent. His plan cannot be thwarted. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, The heart of a a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Christ's control is effective in accomplishing all of his purposes. Secondly, Christ's control is universal over everything that happens in the world. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. One, the natural world. Amos 4.7 says this, I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, the other field did not have rain and would wither. He has complete control in the natural world. He has complete control in human history. Acts 17.26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Over human lives, Jesus has complete control and authority. Ephesians 1.4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Jesus has complete control over faith and salvation. John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come apart from the Father drawing. That's this almighty God who's got complete sovereign control. And because he has control, and because he has all power, that makes him the authority. Jesus has all authority. Verse 15 says he's the firstborn of all creation. We've already talked about that. He is the premier. He is the first in order. Verse 17 says he is before all things. Circle that in your Bible or underline it or highlight it or something. Just remember, all things come under Jesus' authority. Uh, brothers and sisters, I just want to remind you this morning. I know I'm telling you things that's like, yeah, I've heard that before. But, oh, I just want to stir up your affection and remind you of how powerful and mighty and in control your God is. Some of you may be going through a storm this morning. Some of you may be, may be needing comfort this morning. Oh, let the sovereign control of your God comfort you. That if God walks you through a valley in this season of your life, God will deliver you from that valley, either in this life or the next. You will be delivered. You can take full confidence that Christ is in control. 
He is the authoritative figure. And his authority is absolute. It cannot be questioned. His authority uh, is, is guided to us, me and you, by his authoritative word. We actually live under the authoritative word of Almighty God. Christ, who he is, why is he preeminent? It's because he is creator God. It's because he is sustainer, and it's because he has full authority. And so how should me and you respond? How should creation respond to this God? Here's how it should be, okay? We should respond with submission of our lives and alliance of our hearts. We should respond to God with a mission, with, with submission of our lives and, and, and alliance of our hearts. Submission of our lives, we should be able to hand God our schedules, Because he is in complete control, complete authority, all of our goals, all of our ambitions, all of our dreams, all of our desires, all of our time, all of our talents should all be brought to King Jesus. Because his plan is going to be effective. He takes the ordinary life and he makes it extraordinary. As it is submitted to Christ, he takes your life, two fish, five loaves, and he multiplies it, doesn't he? It's worth taking our schedule and bringing it under King Jesus. Secondly, our security. We should bring our security under the reign of King Jesus. Now, I know it already is under the reign, but being aware of our schedule and our security. We, we, we oftentimes want to hold on to our finances. We want to hold on to our comfort. We want to hold on to our plans. I heard a pastor say this one time, and this has been my thing as, as, as my, my, my life uh, is a written, is a... Uh, is a blank check to God. Can you say that to God? Can me and you say that to God together? Father, my life is a blank check. I want to do your will. But God, I know, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm scared, because there's unknowns. Uh, I'm scared because I, I don't know that you're going to, I don't know what you're going to do with my life, right? Those are some things that hold us back. But hear this, brothers and sisters. God is good. God knows better than you what you need. You're his child. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today. So tell God, I want to be a blank check for you, God. My first summer, I had just come to Christ, was in college. And I remember um, walking through this time where I was having a hard time letting go of my schedule. I was having a hard time letting go of my comfort in the unknown. And uh, I I had been praying about going to a, a summer project with Campus Outreach and um, my parents were pretty against it. And I, um, I finally talked my mom and dad into it. We, we did it through prayer. Some brothers and sisters were praying. So prayer does work. And, uh, and right as my parents said, we're not happy about it, but we'll let you go, I tore my ACL playing basketball, doing a double crossover. I go this way and try to go back, and my knee pops, and I just keep going. And I, I, I thought, God, you, you must have made a mistake. God, you, you had to have made a mistake. And, uh, and, and here's, here's what, what happened through that process, is uh, I realized, you know, parents were going to make me come home and work. That was their intention. They were just, I'm going to get you to come back from Jonesboro, come back down to Little Rock. It's about a two-hour trip. And then when I get you back here, I'm going to make you stay home and work. But the, the ACL tear actually disrupted my parents' plan. Parents, sometimes, uh, sometimes our plan, we've got to bring it back to the Lord with our children. It's really hard. And I'm a, I, I've got two little girls, Sayla and Naomi. And it's hard to think about. One day they may come to the door and say, Daddy, God's calling me to fill in the blank. That's a hard thing for a parent. But God is trustworthy. 
And, uh, and, and as I went back uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to, the, um, to my parents and, and told them about the torn ACL, I was thinking, there's no way I can go. I would have to rehab uh, down in, um, in Tampa for the summer. And, uh, and all that to say, here's what happened. The guy that was discipling me said to me, Brett, do not let circumstances dictate your spiritual growth. And that was this beginning for me that Christ is Lord and sovereign. And circumstances play a part. But what he was saying is this circumstance really going to hinder you. And it didn't. I ended up going to the summer project, and that was the greatest project that I'd been to. And I, it, it set the foundation for my Christian life, how I spent time in the Word, how I prayed. I never would have seen the things that I got to see, how to share my faith. I got to see someone come to Christ that summer. I never would have seen that if I wouldn't have handed over my schedule and my security. Secondly, allegiance of our hearts. Christ wants our attitudes. How do we approach a king? How do you approach a king? We're to approach a king humble and willing. We should give Christ the same place in our hearts that he holds in the universe. Central, premier, first is how we should approach a king. There should be no rivals in our life. You remember the story where Jesus comes up uh, and, and, and he's walking with his disciples and this, this very savvy lawyer walks up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, okay, Jesus, tell me, how can I get into heaven? So Jesus, cheating, looks right at his heart and goes, okay, I know where this is at. I know where you're going. So Jesus throws out some laws. Why don't you, why don't you obey your mother and father? Okay, I've done that. Why, why don't you do that? I've done these things, Jesus. And, and Jesus Jesus lets him play the game. God, look at, my, look at my spiritual resume. I come to church. I take communion. I've been baptized. I do all of these things. And then Jesus says to him, he looks right at his idolatry and he says, go and sell all of your possessions and come and follow me. And this man walks away with his head down. Do you not realize how rich I am? You, do you not realize this is my identity? Do you not realize this is my security? How would you, why would you want to take that from me, Jesus? Jesus was trying to give him a greater identity. Jesus was trying to give him a greater security. Matthew 6, 33 uh, says, Seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Jesus will provide for your needs. If you look at Matthew 6, you would see that. Jesus was trying to hand this young man that that day. And this young man said, I want the world more than I want you, Jesus. And he walked away. Don't walk away. Christ deserves our allegiance to him. At his birth, he was declared as being uh, the, the king of peace. Uh, at his baptism, uh, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He validates Jesus. At his um, transfiguration, uh, he's there on, on, on the mountaintop with three disciples. And the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. There's a verification. At his resurrection, uh, there is a vindication. He is God Almighty with all authority. Listen and follow after him. There should be no rivals in our life. You know, the reality, though, is there is rivals, aren't there? Day in and day out, functionally. I was thinking about this a couple of nights ago. I'm, I'm thinking about being, Christ being preeminent in my life. And I'm, every area of my life, my family, uh, sports, um, you know, the way I raise my children, the way I handle my finances, the way I talk to people at church, the way I talk to people in the community, all of that. I want all to be under Jesus' mighty reign. And my, one of my little girls was taking water, and she was filling it up, um, for, filling her water cup up, 
and she was just kind of dumping it on the floor. <laughs> just one after the other. And I come in and almost slip on the floor and uh, almost lose my feet. And I'm like, what are you thinking right now? And she's like, it's fun. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, how do I make Christ preeminent in this moment? I don't want to. I, I just want to yell at her. Stop doing that. Stop making messes. My little Naomi, she just goes around the house, and she just looks for something to mess up. <laughs> and so I remember one time uh, with her, uh, there was this pile of laundry clothes, and she would just take the clothes, and she would just throw them as fast as she could over top of her shoulder. And then she would go walk around a little bit and get bored, and she would go back the other way and grab the clothes and throw them back over the other side of her shoulder. Just wants to mess stuff up, and I just fall short. We've all fallen short of what God's called us to be in our humanity. That's Romans 3.23. You've gotten angry when someone cuts you off on the freeway. You've, you, you've gossiped. You, God asked you to give something to somebody, and you said, no, 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 no. This may just be a little bit more comfortable. Maybe I'll just, I'll just kind of shut out that, that voice for right now. You've been there before. You all maybe have experienced what it's like, whether you're reading the Word, and you're, you're reading through, and, and it feels like Jesus is kind of tapping you on the shoulder. Hey, this, is, this one's for you. Or you're talking with someone and they start to give you the word of God. And, and it's like they just moved out of the room and Jesus just moved in the room. You ever had that moment before? It's like, oh no, God right now is addressing me. No rivals, but we fall short, don't we? And here's why, here's my goal for today about, about talking about God's preeminence. It would be this, that you would be more aware that God should be preeminent in every area of your life. Well, then I feel like a failure, Brett. Thanks for the sermon. But here's the thing. As you realize your shortcomings, it makes you press in to the firstborn of the dead, the resurrected Christ. It makes you rely on the grace of God. Standing with a, a young man in a party a couple nights ago, and uh, we're throwing a party for the college students, and this young man looks at me and goes, man, you've been asking me to follow Jesus for two years and I just, man, I, I have not been able to say yes to that, Brett. But something happened to me over the break. God did something in my heart. He, he, he just really broke me, Brett. And, and this kid's like 6'3", football player from our campus. And, and we're in the middle of this party, and he starts crying. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, a little uncomfortable, you know, with, with people walking by and, want, you know, wanting to hang out. You know, I mean, that's, what, that's how you think he would feel. He had abandoned himself. He said, Brett, it's all done. It's all gone. I want, no, I want no more of it. I want Jesus. I want God. I want God. I want God. And I looked at him. He goes, can you tell me what happened to me, Brett? And I opened up 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I said, for the love of Christ controls us. And he goes, that's it. That's what's happened to me. When you experience God's grace on your life, it transforms you because you see your shortcoming and you see the almighty God who is the creator, who is the sustainer, who has all authority. He knows everything going on in your heart and he still says, I love you. Wow, that's amazing news. That's why I want you to think about preeminence so that you would encounter God's grace and you would be compelled by his love. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. One of the big questions is, didn't Jesus raise Lazarus? 
Weren't there other people in the Bible raised? What does this mean, he's the firstborn from the dead? When Jesus raised Lazarus, Jesus raises Lazarus up, and as he raises him, he raises him back to a perishable body, which means Lazarus has got to die again. Okay? It's a very gracious move on Jesus' part. But Jesus was telling and showing the world, I'm about to do this with myself. And as I raise myself, I will become the source and the sustainer of the new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus is, is he's bringing in the kingdom. When he raises from the dead, he is the firstborn from the dead. He is going to sustain, and he is going to be the substance and the source for the new creation. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Jesus is saying, you will never die again. When you become a believer, I'm going I'm to put my spirit in you as an inheritance. I'm going to begin to seal you. You're going to begin to walk in new life. You've got a new heart with new desires and new actions. And you begin to walk against the flesh. And Jesus pays your penalty at the cross. We call this justification. Your penalty is paid in full. Jesus then begins to sanctify you. Uh, the power of sin begins to get, uh, get f- uh, a faint in your life. You begin to be able to say no to sin. So the power of sin loses its grip. And then one day Jesus will glorify you. He will bring you out of the presence of sin altogether. Wow. No more sin. No more brokenness. No more cancer. No more disappointment. No more discouragement. All gone because of Jesus raising from the dead. He will wipe away every tear from your How loving is that for your God to do that? Why is he preeminent? What makes him preeminent as the first from the dead? One is that he's the risen Savior. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 says this, Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus defeated death He paid our penalty, and he secured our destiny. Would you just do this with me real fast? Would you just take your hands? Everyone look up here real quick. Take your hands and put them on your knees real quick. Just do it with me real fast. I know for some of you, like, I don't want crowd participation. (laughs) Those knees will bow. They will. They can bow now to your eternal joy, or they can bow later to your eternal damnation. How gracious is your God to bring you this morning? If you do not know Jesus Christ this morning, bow your knee. For this king's will will be accomplished. And he is saying to you, you can be forgiven for your sin because he paid the penalty for your sin. He is our risen Savior. Secondly, he is the church's head. What does a head do? A head leads. It tells the limbs, it tells the body what to do. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the only head of the church. There is no other head of the church. He is it. And he is in full control. 
okay? He is leading the church. Jesus is nurturing and comforting the church. Jesus is interpreting the church's emotions through his holy and sovereign authoritative word. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the face of the church. Therefore, he is our very identity. We call this union in Christ. In Christ, go read Ephesians and watch how many times Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, I challenge you. Circle it every time and then count them up. God has every intention to so weave and blend you with Jesus Christ. He is said, you have ruined your image in humanity. You, you do not reflect the image of God because of sin. But Jesus says, I will restore that and renew that. And that's what it means to be a Christian now. That's what it means when you repent and believe, you you agree with God about your sin, you turn from your sin, and you become and look more like Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, As you are beholding his glory, you are being transformed from one degree to the next, into his likeness. Romans 8.29 says that was his intention from the very beginning, to make you into his very likeness. He is the agent, he is the aim. We said that already. He's also, and lastly here, he's the Prince of Peace. He made peace by the blood of his cross. It says here, and I don't want you to mix this up, it says, he has reconciled all things in heaven and on earth. This is not Rob Bell, love wins. The, what, what it actually means is that he's bringing everything under his reign again. He's making all of creation, when he made it and he said it is good, sin has marred it and made it not good. So Jesus is coming back, and he is redeeming all of it. He He is redemptively working. He is redemptively working in his church. He is redemptively working in your life. He is making you look more like him, and he is going to take creation in Romans 8 that is groaning to be delivered, and he is going to redeem all of creation and make a new heavens and a new earth by his word. How powerful is that word? By his word, Jesus is doing. He says, peace, shalom. Jesus, because he died on the cross for me and you, said there's peace with God now. There's no more strife with God that has to happen. Your performance no longer matters because Jesus performed for you. And yet, the love and majesty of him performing for you should draw you into a greater devotion, submission, and allegiance to him. So how should the church respond? The church should respond like this. In participation of Christ's preeminence in your everyday activity. And it should respond in his purpose of spreading the message of reconciliation. Participation of Christ's preeminence in everyday activity. 2 Peter 1.3.8 says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by, by which he has granted to us the precious and very great promises. Watch. The, the precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You claim the promises of God you claim the power of God in your life from the Holy Scriptures and watch your life begin to change. And I'm not talking about name it and claim it, prosperity gospel. I'm talking about a much greater prosperity than just financial blessings. 
and no hardships. I'm talking about the almighty favor of God. I'm talking about beginning to reflect God's very image and how he's made you. That as you walk and live, the world looks and they go, what is different about you, brother and sister? Because you are constantly thinking about him being preeminent in your life and everything you do. And you are reaching on his grace. So we can either be stagnant or stale, or we can be a blessing because he has blessed us. I want to remind you that you are not your own, that you were purchased from the slave block. You are a slave to sin, and God has made you a slave to righteousness. But how good is your master? 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 19 and 20 says that you were purchased from the slave block. You are no longer your own because he purchased you with his very blood and life. In all Christians, Christ is present. In some Christians, Christ is prominent. He's important. But in few Christians, Christ is preeminent. He is first in everything that I do. I want you to be one of the few. As we partake in the, the, the ministry of reconciliation, it gives us a great opportunity to share this good news with others. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, says that he has given us the message of reconciliation. Do you realize you have the greatest message that anyone could ever have? One of, one of my brothers, one of my staff guys, was, uh, was over in the cafeteria, and he was sharing his face with a guy, sharing his face with a guy and, he's, and he's drawing out Romans 6.23. And this guy looks at my, my staff, and he goes, he goes, Pete, do you realize you have the greatest news in all of creation? You should get paid more for your job. <laughs> he's a lost guy. He doesn't know, but that's how he translates. He goes, you have the greatest news. If God is real, and he is almighty, and he is the sustainer, and he's the authority, and he will punish sin. And you're telling me I can be forgiven. That is the greatest news. And not just be forgiven, I can be named as, a, as, as in Christ, in union with Christ. I can have every blessing in the heavenly place, Ephesians 1.4. All of it is wrapped up in Jesus. And I'm going to get to have incredible fellowship for the rest of my life and in, 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 in the afterlife. I'm going to get to celebrate Christ at the table and sing and worship him. Oh, how great is that day. Today you are practicing what you will do for all eternity. Wow. And God is meeting us today. Jim Elliott was a missionary who uh, went to Ecuador and, and went um, among a tribe there. He arrived on the beach with four men, and almost immediately, with a pistol on his hip, allowed the tribal leaders to kill him, drive a spear right through his heart. Most people would say he wasted his life. A couple years later, his wife and the wives of those other missionaries that all were martyred right there on that beach showed back up on that beach among that tribe. And that tribe looked at Jim Elliott or Jim Elliot's wife, and they looked at these other wives, and they go, what love is this that you would come back after we took your husband? How great is your God that you would show back up to share the gospel with the very people that murdered your husband? But Elizabeth was only living out this great uh, thought that Jim wrote in his journal just years before. He is no fool 
to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Christ is preeminent, and you are no fool to give up what you cannot keep, being your life, your desires, your finances, everything, your spouse, you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. You will never lose Christ. You will never lose eternity. You will never lose his favor and blessing if you are in Christ. Let's make him preeminent with our lives. And when we fall short, let's boast in his grace and his greatness in that grace. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for these moments that we get to have together. And I just ask that the great cosmic war in creation would be declared uh, Christ is the victor as we live out the little battles in our life in making you preeminent. Oh God, would you bring a church that sees you as its head, that follows you with all of its heart, mind, soul, and strength, And would you receive the glory and give us the privilege this next year to lead one person to you, to see their life reconciled to you. Help us not be the fool any longer. Help us lay it all down for the sake of you and be a blank check. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.